0: As we get going, I just want to share a quick story. One of my favorite things to do on vacation is hike. I'm a mountain guy. I'm not a beach person. I don't want to sweat on vacation. Um, At least like hot, sticky, sand sweat. Like, you know, you you get out there and you're, the the sunscreen, like that's not vacation to me. Um, What's vacation to me is going to Colorado or going to New Mexico or somewhere where there are huge mountains towering over me and I just get to be in awe. I wanna be awed on vacation. And so I like to go hiking, um, camping, all that stuff. I'm the outdoor guy. I, I meet with the Lord when we are outside. When I wanna have a good, quiet time, I go for a walk. I don't sit down in, in a study with books. I go on a walk and I, and, and I spend time with the Lord. So, so hiking's my, my, my thing. And uh, what's, what's funny about hiking is you're just walking. In a pretty place, typically, not in Oklahoma. There's really no pretty hiking in Oklahoma. Um, Wichita Mountains, a little bit, maybe, anyway, that's a whole different deal. Um, But I want to tell you really quick about one time we went hiking. We went to Lake Tahoe. Anybody ever been to Lake Tahoe? It is like heaven on earth, okay? Um, I had no idea. I'd only seen pictures, but we went there, and it was just, I mean, the most gorgeous thing. It's like uh, the beach and the mountains all in the same sight line. Um, It's just gorgeous, these mountains come right out of this lake, and it's immense and massive, and it just feels good. It just feels good. And so we were like, we, we're going to go. We had this trip together, and we went to a marriage conference. I just happened to find one in Tahoe. Um, and so we went. And of course, on our off time, we were like, we got to find a hike. And so we, we found this hike, and uh, I think we went around May, so not too far off of this time of year, to where the snow had melted considerably, but there was still some snow, and it was pretty, in the waterfalls because of all the snow melt and everything, and so we went on this hike, and it was gorgeous. We were going to go to a lake, a mountain lake. You guys know what I'm talking about, like that lake in the middle of the mountains that no one else is there, and it's just this gorgeous little pond or lake, and so that's where we're going to go. It's going to be eight miles in and eight miles out, um, and we're like, let's do this. We can do it. This is going to be great, so we go. We start walking, and it's gorgeous. I mean, the pine trees are massive. The boulders, you know, like as my, the little kid inside of me just wanted to jump over the boulders, but I'm too old for that now. Um, but I wanted to. And so we're walking and all of a sudden we kind of stop and we're like, wait, uh, where's the path? We had this moment where we're like be, between the snowmelt and still covering the path and the pine needles that were still kind of just scattered everywhere because this path really hadn't been trekked in about six months. And we had this moment of panic where we're like, we're in the middle of the wilderness, there are bears here, and we don't know where we are. Um, we don't have cell phone coverage, we have a map that we really don't know how to read, um, and we haven't seen another living soul in about an hour. And there's this moment of panic that set in, we're like, oh no, <laughs> are, we, are we going in the right direction? And and, so we, and then every little sound that you hear in the forest at that time is a bear, Right? You hear it and you're like, oh, that's that's Mama Grizzly. That's you know what, what's happening. And so for about five minutes, we were just kind of like kind of walking back and walking forward, like just trying to figure out where is the path. And luckily, about a hundred yards up, we finally see this wooden post about this tall with a little you know inscription on it. It was a guidepost. And we saw that, and all the anxiety and fear went, whew, okay. We are on the path, we're on the path. And I tell you that story because life is like a hike. And especially as young adults, you're just starting off on this brand new hike, many of you. And there are gonna be those moments in life where anxiety creeps in and you have that freak out moment because you don't know like, "Am, am am I going down the right path? And this is why we have this series, am I doing this right? There's that moment where you're like, Am I doing this whole thing right? We, we, we joke in Sunday school, uh, our Sunday school class, a lot about adulting, like this verb called, I'm doing this adulting thing now. And are we doing this right? And so I thought, this is a question, I don't know if it runs in your head, it runs in my head all the time. Am I pastoring right? Am I fathering right? Am I husbanding right? Am I, you know, friending right? Like all these questions. And then it, it boils, like we do this in every area of our life, right? At your job, you have. Uh, probably consistent reviews, right? Maybe once a month, once a year, twice a year, whatever. You have reviews because your boss is asking you this question. Are you doing this right? And so your boss sits down and you kind of go over performance or whatever to figure out, are you going down the right path? We do this in relationships all the time. We talked about this back in February, right? We have the DTR conversation. We got to define this relationship, because you got to figure out, are we going down the same path here? Like, how serious are you? Are you super serious? I don't want to get married like next month, but maybe in a year. Like, And so we have DTRs all the time, and, and they're, they're stressful, and your palms start to sweat. And then the other person confirms that they still like you, and you still like them, and you're like, oh, phew. Okay, we're on the right path. It's a guidepost. Those conversations are guideposts. We're looking to figure out, what, what are we doing? Where are we going? And so this whole series... Is about faith. Are we doing this thing called Christianity right? Now, here I want to give a disclaimer. My fear is that you're going to hear this through the through the ears of legalism and rules. That hey, Andy's going to give us these this list of check boxes over the next several weeks. That if I don't do those, I'm going straight to hell. That's not what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to dig into God's word and we're going to look at some guideposts that we see consistently through scripture that tell us, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what I should be feeling. This is what I should be seeing. This is what I should be doing. This is what I should be experiencing as I walk with Christ. So if you're in here tonight saying, I don't, I'm not a Christian. I would not claim to be. That's great. I'm glad you're here, man. I believe God has brought you here. If you are a Christian, I hope that this whole series is encouraging to you, that you hear something like, yes, okay, yeah, that's a guidepost. I'm doing that. I've experienced that. I have felt that. I'm a part of that. And it helps encourage you to say, all right, you're doing this thing right. But I also hope if you're a believer in here that you're going to hear some things over the next month, month and a half, two months that you're like, you know what? That, that is absent in my walk with Christ. I've never done that. I've never done a lot of those things. And hopefully, maybe we can bring you to a place where you have some really good conversation between you and the Lord, saying, God, lead me, guide me. That's what this whole song is, right? Lead me, guide me, teach me. And so tonight, specifically, we're going to talk about the goal of biblical discipleship. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? To answer that question, we're going to look at three specific instructions tonight. And tonight is going to be kind of that 30,000-foot view of the Christian life, all right? The next eight weeks are going to be like the ground level in the trenches. We're going to look at what it looks like to follow Jesus. But tonight, we're just doing the 30,000-foot big view. We're going to look at what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, specifically that word discipleship. We're going to look at this word disciple Because the disciple of Jesus is constantly conforming, continually maturing, and intentionally reaching the loss for Jesus. So before we get going, I want to define two terms. The first one is the this in our title. Am I doing this? Here's what this is. Biblical discipleship and following Christ. So when you see these posters around town, when you see it on Facebook, and you're like, what is this? This is what this is. For the next eight weeks after this, we're going to talk about biblical discipleship and following Christ. We're going to take a real magnifying glass and we're going to look at what should we be feeling, experiencing, doing, what can I expect? That's what we're going to look at. The second word I want to define is disciple, because this is not a word that we hear very often, but it's simple. The disciple is a student and a learner. When you when you get get rid of all the the flash and the confusion and the you know the, the pithy statements, this is what a disciple is. When Jesus had his disciples, they were simply students of the master. He's the master. Jesus is the he's the author of our faith. And so we're simply students. We're on a constant apprenticeship to look more like Jesus. That's Christianity. There's a pastor in Philadelphia named Eric Mason. This is his definition. I thought it was great. He said, disciples are people who have renounced themselves and have pledged their lives to a lifetime process of conforming to the image of Christ. I love that definition for several reasons. One, I love the word renounced. It's not, I'm going to follow Jesus. No, I've given up the right to myself. I've renounced myself, but I have pledged my allegiance to Jesus. I'm going to align with him because I'm the student and he's the teacher. Biblical discipleship are people who have renounced themselves and have pledged their lives to a lifetime of process. You know, when we talk about a process, the process is not to become perfect. Because Christians are not perfect. Flash, newsflash. Christians are not perfect, but you know who is perfect? Jesus. We don't have to be perfect. We can walk. We can take this hike in his perfection. He lived the life that we can't live. He's the one that didn't sin. So I don't need to live a life of sinlessness to earn God's love and favor for me. He's already done it on the cross. He's like, Andy, I know you're not perfect. That's why I sent Jesus. We're not perfect people. We can walk in Christ's perfection. So here's what we're going to talk about tonight. My three main points are going to be this. The goal of the disciple is to be, number one, constantly conforming to the image of Christ. The goal of the Christian disciple is to be constantly conforming to the image of Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8, verses 29 through 30. That's where we get this. from Paul's words to the to to uh, the church in Rome, he says this, and we all and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, we're not going to get into predestination tonight. We're just simply talking about that white line right there, to be conformed to the image. He predestined you. If you are a Christian, your goal as a Christian is to be conformed to the image of Christ. We should be constantly changing. As I said before, Christians are not perfect people, but we are people in process. Hear me say that again, people. Christians are not perfect people. But we are people who are in the process of conforming to the image of Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, we should be the first ones to apologize. We should be the first ones to say, you know what? My bad. I did this. Confess. My bad. Because we're people in process. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to pretend like we have it all together. That's why I love Matt's story, the vulnerability of Matt to do that video and say, hey, this is who I am. That's hard. Because everything in my being says, I don't want anybody to know where I struggle. I don't want anybody to know where I'm not perfect. I want to build a life so that you think I'm perfect. When I was in high school and college, I was a goody two-shoes kid. I followed rules like you wouldn't believe. I was really good at it. I loved the accolades I got from it. I loved the respect from adults that I got from it. But here's the, in the end, this is what I was doing. I was trying to live a life so perfect that I actually didn't need Jesus I tried to follow the rules so to the T that in actuality what I was trying to tell people is I'm so good, I don't need Jesus, but you do. Christians aren't perfect people, we're people in process. One of my favorite commentators of the Bible is a guy named David Gudzik. He says this, he says, God has a plan reflected in its goal that we might be conformed to the image of his son and this is a process that God does with our cooperation, not something he just does to us. I love that because it, it, it brings in the reality of like, it's a cooperative deal. Like God doesn't have his little, you know, magic wand. Say, Andy, we're going to fix that for you. We're going we're gonna to make you perfect now. We're going to make you know the entire Bible now. Boom. Like, believe me, if you've ever seen the movie, The Matrix, like that's what I want. Download the Bible into my brain so that I don't have to actually do anything. I just want to know it. But that's not how it works. God, in his grace and in his providence, he says, you know what? Let's work with this. Let's work out our faith. And so it's a cooperative effort. And this is key. Most conforming is incremental. It's not huge moments. It's incremental decisions of obedience. I'm going to start reading my Bible like, when you, I don't know about you, but when I open my Bible, like, the sun doesn't shine brighter. There's no, like, choir of angels singing. Like, there's no, like, these, it's incremental. When I open my word and I pray or whatever I do, it's, they're most likely incremental changes. They're small things, they're trajectory deals. Where I'm, I'm, I might move this much, but hey, in 30 years, I'm gonna be way over here. But today, it doesn't feel like a big deal. Incremental changes. I love David in Psalm 139, the heart of King David. In Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24, he's basically just saying this, God, show me my own heart. Show me where in my life I am not aligned with you. Show me, because I want to conform to you, God. I want to do your will. And David says in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, show me my heart. If there's any grievous weight in me, and bring me to alignment with you, what a great prayer for us to pray. My second point tonight: this is the goal of disciple of the disciple is to be continually growing and maturing in Christ. The goal of the disciple is to be continually growing and maturing in Christ. Paul writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians 1, 28, He says this: "It's Jesus we proclaim." Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. These are the goals of this Christian journey, to conform to the likeness of Jesus. And as Paul says in 128, that we are to be mature in Christ that we are to present everyone around us, our friends, our family. Like our job as disciples is to teach them God's word so that they might grow and be mature in Jesus. And you know what? When it says that everyone uh, be presented mature in Christ, that includes us. That as a Christian, we are to be maturing in our faith. Biblical discipleship is about moving down the path to maturity. Growing. In 2 Peter, we see this. You know Peter, the one that denied Jesus? In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter gives what, what I like to think about is like a gospel cycle of maturity. He says this. He says, add to your faith knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. And he goes on, add, add this, add this. When you're here, then add this. It's a cycle of growth that as a Christian, we need to engage in. Unfortunately, a lot of church in America inadvertently teaches the theology of, hey, if you just say a prayer, give your life to Jesus, you're good. And then we stop. We stop growing. We, we, we sign our insurance policy for eternity, and we're like, I'm good. I went to VBS when I was 10. I'm good. And then we, from that day forward, we kind of just live however we want to live and just say, God, forgive me for how I'm living. Like, that's a transactional relationship. That's not a relationship. That's an insurance policy. And I don't think an insurance policy is why Jesus died on the cross and rose again to save us from our sins. It'd be like if I went hiking at Lake Tahoe and we found the trailhead, looked at it, and said, we hiked that. I'm done. I hiked it. I'm good. No. Like, we say, no, 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 you're just starting. If you said a prayer of salvation at some point in your life, that's just the trailhead. Get going. Scripture tells us time and time again, that's what the next eight weeks is going to be. This is what you do as a Christian. Here's the next guidepost. Go to that one and then to that one. We assume sometimes, I think, that just because we're growing physically, like we're growing up, Like, my kids are like this tall, this tall, this tall, this tall, and this tall. Yes, I have five children. And they're going to grow physically. But that does not mean they're going to grow spiritually. There is absolutely no connection to your physical body growing and your spiritual body growing. They are completely separated. So just to think that you're older now than you were in high school, which means you're more spiritually mature now, no, There's no no connection between our theology and our biology. We gotta walk down the path. We gotta move. We gotta put forth the cooperative effort to grow in our faith, to mature, just as Paul said. We can't just assume that we're gonna grow because we're growing physically. Number three, the goal of the disciple is to be intentionally reaching people for Christ. The goal of the disciple is to be intentionally reaching people for Christ. And this is one of the most common, most familiar scriptures in all the Bible. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus himself says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And I could, we could do a sermon on this for like three months. There's so much here. But I just want to give you the 30,000 foot view of what a disciple of Jesus does. What is the goal? So far, the goal is to um, conform to the image of Jesus. Secondly, the goal of the Christian is to mature in Christ. And thirdly, the goal of the Christian is to multiply ourselves in other people, to intentionally reach people. You see, the disciple of Jesus, the learner, the student of Jesus, has the same mission that the master has. Like we're not a good student, we're not a student at all if we say, "Hey, I'm going to come to your class, but I'm going to listen to nothing you say, and I'm not going to do anything that is actually uh, that you're teaching me." As a Christian. We are called, like, it's not an option. It's not not a multiple choice. Like, which one would you like to do, Christian? Jesus is making a bold, clear statement here Go, therefore, and make disciples, make learners of others, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So, if you think about it, we are missional disciples. We're on a mission. We're not just learning, we're on a mission. And I love this definition, again, from Eric Mason. He said, a missional disciple is someone living out their identity as God's ambassadors, joining him in his effort to reach people with the gospel. That we are joining Jesus. We're not, it's, not a, it's not on you. We're joining him. He's already working in this world. Our job as Christians is to go out there and make disciples learners and students of other folks. To Say, hey, listen to what I'm learning. Like Matt's story, Watch, this is what God's doing in my life. Because discipleship is not just knowledge. It's not just knowledge. I tell my Sunday school classes all the time, like if, if, if discipleship were just knowledge, we would turn into the Christian version of the people in the movie Wally if we're just filling our heads with knowledge and never actually living it out. Oh, I know Matthew 28. I learned it in VBS when I was a kid, and I can memorize it, and I can, I can spout it out to you. But when was the last time you actually intentionally shared your faith with anyone? I meet with a lot of folks. And a lot of the, the, the themes, I guess, that I hear a lot is they're just kind of blah in their faith. Like there's nothing exciting about Jesus if they come to church, great. If they don't, no big deal, I'll sleep in. If they come to the gathering, no big deal. I'll watch a game instead, not, whatever. I, I won't go to small group because eh, it, it might be good, it might not be. Like, it's just kind of that huh, faith in Jesus. And I've been there many, many times in my life. But I'm gonna make a prediction here that if you're sitting in this room tonight and you have given your life to Christ, you are a disciple of Jesus and you're living a ho-hum Take it or leave it faith. I'm going to predict that you have not shared the gospel with anyone in a long, long time. Here's why I say that. When we start actively seeking out people to reach for Jesus, your life will become incredibly exciting. Because you don't know what God's going to do. You don't know why he put you at that desk, at that company. You don't know who you're going to run to at Starbucks. You don't know who you're going to work out next to. You don't know what's happening in your neighbor's life. But maybe God, maybe God puts you at that desk, at that company, in that apartment, in that neighborhood, because there is someone there that needs Jesus and God's already working on him. He's just bringing you along to help them. Then all of a sudden, when we start doing this, when we start actually actively sharing our faith, bringing people into our faith to become learners of Jesus, your faith will start to explode with excitement because you're being used by God. Instead of cowering to our fears, that, well, what if they don't like me? What if, what if this gets weird? Instead of cowering to fear, we obey the almighty God who says, go make, catch the last line, go make disciples, why? Because I am with you. Till the end of the age. You're not going by yourself. You're not entering that conversation by yourself. God's already working. And He's brought you there to help teach them about Jesus. And so, if your faith is boring, I want to challenge you with that question. When was the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time God used you to change the eternity of another human being? That's exciting. When God takes broken people like me and allows me to enter into a relationship with someone where I can bring the most life-giving message, the most eternally changing message to them. And yet, more often than not, I just back off. I'm like, eh, I'll let, I'll, you know, I'll let somebody else do it. No, 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 no. God is way too big to place a Christian in that person's life, you, for you to back out. It'd be like this. It'd be like if you're a master electrician, you've done all the classes, you've done all the studying, and you are a master electrician, but you won't touch a light bulb because you're afraid you might get electrocuted. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? What, why are you coming to church? Why are you studying your Bible? If at all costs, I will back away from anyone, any spiritual conversation, because it might get weird. It'd be like a gifted athlete training their whole life To be good at a sport, but never stepping on the actual field because they're afraid they might get hurt. What a waste. As a disciple of Jesus, he is commanding us go and make disciples. Young adults, our field is your workplace, our field is your apartment complex, our field is where you work out, our field is your neighborhood. Let's engage the game. Let's engage the game. God's ready to use you. The God of the universe who created all the stars in in the universe, who put every hair on your head and in their head, has placed you there for a reason. Let's get on the field. So how are we going to do this? These are the goals. These are just three goals of, of Christian faith. To conform to Jesus. To mature in Christ. And to intentionally and purposely reach the lost. Because our master teacher said it best. He goes, I have come to seek and save the lost. We need to align our goals with Jesus. And so where are we going to go with this series? I'm just going to tell you everything we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks. Because I want to invite you back. We're going to go from 30,000 feet to ground level. And we're going to start getting very real with, all right, this is what... We do. This is what we think. This is what we experience. This is what, our responsibility. This is what you should feel, all that stuff. Here's where we're going to be. This is in no particular order. We're going to talk about salvation. We're going to talk about regeneration. What actually happens when we become a follower of Jesus? What happens in here? What happens in here? When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, what happens? What should you be seeing? What should you be feeling? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about communicating with God. Am I engaging God the way that he has taught us to do that? We're going to talk about reading and applying the Bible. Am I actually spending time in God's word? And is it actually being applied to my life? We're going to talk about seeing the world through Jesus, the eyes of Jesus. We're going to answer questions like, am I seeing this world, this person, this situation, this issue, the way Jesus sees it? We're going to talk about transformation, the new life and new desires that Jesus brings into your life. Am I actually a different person specifically because of my relationship with Christ? Like, do I have new desires? Has God transformed me? We're going to talk about wisdom and discernment. Am I making decisions according to the world's wisdom or God's wisdom? And lastly, we're going to talk about ministry and multiplication. Am I actively, intentionally seeking to bring others along the journey with Jesus, Jesus with me? So what? Andy, what, what does this mean? So what? I want to end tonight with one truth and two questions. Here's the truth that you need to let sink in deep into your heart, into your soul, and into your mind. All right? There's a truth that you, that you may you already believe it, but if you don't, you need to let this sink in and just and, and marinate in this. And that is this: you need to know that following Christ is not a stationary or passive endeavor. It is not a stationary or passive endeavor. Hiking is not a passive endeavor. There's action. Following Christ is not a stationary, passive endeavor. That's the truth that you need to walk away with tonight and and think through that in your own life. Is your Christian faith passive? Is your Christian faith stationary? If so, why? What's holding you back? What's the obstacle? And work through that. Come talk to our prayer team at the back. They would love to talk with you about that. So that's the one truth. The two questions are these. Number one, Is my goal aligned with God's goal in my Christian life? Is my goal aligned with God's goal? Am I I a Christian for the same reasons Jesus saved me? Like, are we aligned on this? I remember when I gave my life to Christ as a little kid, I gave my life to Christ for one reason I did not want to go to hell. That was it. Just terrified. Like, ah, oh, I'll do it every Sunday. Every time I camp, I'll rededicate till, the, till I'm blue in the face. I just don't want to go to hell. But as I have matured in my faith, I realize that God has got so much more for me in this life. And so I want to ask you that question. Is, my goal, is your goal aligned with God's goal when it comes to your faith? Are you excited about the same things Jesus was excited about? Are you passionate about the same things Jesus was passionate about? Because what we discovered was his goal for you is to conform to the image of Christ and to make disciples. Are we conforming to Christ intentionally and are we making disciples intentionally? The second question is how am I intentionally maturing in my faith? I want you to chew on that for a little bit. How am I intentionally maturing in my faith? What steps am I actually taking? Because I I got some bad news for you. Osmosis doesn't really work in the church, where if you just sit really close to someone you know is following Jesus, it's not just going to happen for you. Like, just showing up at the gathering does not make you like this holy person. Like, what are you actually intentionally doing to mature in your faith? Those are my, that's my one truth and my two questions I'm going to end with. That you need to know that following Christ is not a stationary or passive endeavor. And then I want you to ask yourself, is my goal aligned with God's goal? And how am I intentionally maturing in my faith? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're doing something new this summer at the end of every uh, talk. Because I had a conversation with another pastor that does young adult ministry and they do this. And I thought, that's a genius idea. We need to do that. So we're going to steal it. And that's this. Usually, typically what we do at this point at the gathering is is I pray, the band comes up, and we go right into worship. And what this guy said, he he said, he goes, Andy, what we realized we were unintentionally doing was teaching our people that the the biblical response to what you've just heard from God's word is to sing. I don't think that's necessarily true. It may be. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you 120 seconds to chew on, think through what we just talked about. So this is gonna be a great time for you to pull out a pen, your note page. It's gonna be a great time for you to sit with this and pray through God, show me my heart. Show me if there's any grievous way in me that's not aligned with you. Show me, God, what step of obedience I need to take to be aligned with you. God, show me, show me, Psalm 139. Our prayer team is gonna be in the back. They're, they got lanyards on, on, around their neck. If you need to pray with somebody, if you need to be prayed for, they're here for you. They were here at 630 praying for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. But we're going to give you 120 seconds just to sit. They're going to play some instrumental music, but this time is meant just for you to meet with the Lord.